There's a time and a place for black and white, like when you're learning to play piano, or when you want a big two-toned cookie, or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white, so go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing, from banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 10, 18. Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. Blog Talk Radio. Keep going until you start talking, Mike. Just ah, ah, go for it. Records on records on records. I was on the whole song for you, Mister. Remit, 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 Remit. That song is growing on me of like so much. It's like now every Monday, that's what I'm looking forward to the most to sit back and listen to the song in the intro. Sean <laughs> McVay needs a Migos handle. Some for his ad lib. Sean McVay just needs a handle. <laughs> hot routes on hot routes on hot routes on hot routes. Audible. <laughs> But anyway, we are back for another. Man, we are already on week 10. Look at that. Time is flying by. <laughs> week 10 of uh, TSR, here we are. And we are unfortunately here after a loss. So much to talk about. So, mm. so much to talk about. <laughs> but I, I can't say that I was surprised. Well, what I would also say is it doesn't feel that bad, and I, I, I was I was it so does. ready for it. Your favorite your favorite game that I continue to mention from the 2016 season, Week One 2016, when you lose 0 and 28 to a team that's as bad as the 49ers were, that's a game to feel bad about. This this is yeah. a game we lost, but there's a, there's a lot to feel the, okay about. The interesting thing about that 49ers loss is like by the end of the season, I was looking back like at the time that it happened, nobody expected it. And at the end of the season, I'm looking back at the Rams' entire season. I'm just like, the 49ers were supposed to be them. They were a worse team than the 49ers. 49ers' offense wasn't jacked, but just as far as the way the team was being ran, it was terrible. So it made sense why they lost, why, they're, why, they, why the only 49ers' victories came against the Rams last year. <laughs> you know, so I agree. This one is much different. It's a different feel. Um, I, I, I kind of expected the loss. I, I said they'd lose 47-24, so – <laughs> in our staff prediction. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, and mine was solely based on coaching, but, you know, it, it, that's how it is. It goes like that sometimes. We're moving forward. Well, not yet. We got to review all that. <laughs> Wait, there, there's, not enough, there's not a lot of time. There's not a lot of time to move forward. We got a game on Thursday. We got to make, we got to make this podcast short. We might, not, we might not have time to finish the damn podcast. No, uh, I had us losing two, I, but it was one of those that I, I was hoping I was wrong, but – um, exactly. It is what it is, man. Exactly. It, it, you know, it. it I, I'd say this: there are going, there are likely going to be losses this year that feel worse than this. So, 
that that's why True. week Fact. one I said just enjoy it. We were one and zero. The McVay era got a perfect start. Everything was great. We, then you come never, back to earth in the time of the, the division. You know, we were one and zero. Talked about in a few way. Speaking of leaders, you have a very unnecessary topic kicking off this podcast on the run sheet. What the hell is this hey, about, Myson? Come on, it, man. It'd be like that sometimes. You need to look mm. in the mirror and have a long talk with yourself. <laughs> mm. That's right, everybody. Me and, Joe, me and Joe played in fantasy this weekend, and, you know, I absolutely annihilated him. It wasn't even close. <laughs> totally not. Totally annihilated. <laughs> the, the thing that hurts, there, there was only one decision that I really agonized over, and it was whether or not to start Jared Cook or Gerald Everett at tight end, and I picked Jared Cook, and if I hadn't, it would have been total annihilation the, the other way around. If, if, if. The truth is, I won 96-93, but if he had picked uh, uh, Gerald Everett, I could say if I had started Tyler Lockett, <laughs> still would have won. And I guess if the Rams, because I got the Rams defense started teams, Special teams. If they, if they had been able to stop a run from Washington all damn game, that might have helped. It, it was an ugly day to be a Rams defender in run. Although that ooh ugly day, ugly day. That's your segue. You you had an ugly day the other day with a friend in the vehicle. Man, it is crazy. So for anybody out there who has no clue about this. I have a for real deal arachnophobia. Like, it's not a joke. It's not a game. I'm not just scared. It's like a mental block. Like, I can't get over it. <laughs> I'm, I have arachnophobia, a real phobia of spiders. No joke. So my sister, she's moving some stuff around, and so I'm helping her out, you know, been trying to be a good brother, and she's scared of anything that crawls. Scariest person alive. <laughs> so the wrong person the wrong two people you're ever going to have in a spider environment is us <laughs> together. <laughs> it's never going to be good. So we get everything moved, and, you know, we're in our business. We're driving, and she's dropping me back off. And, I'm in, you know, we're, we're, in, a, we're in the car, and she's driving this little bitty Ford, uh, Ford Escort, tiny, like really tiny. And so when she's driving, I just so happen to look up right there on the dash directly in front of me, is this spider crawling? <laughs> this brown spider is crawling right in front of me, and my immediate reaction is, unbuckle this seatbelt and get the hell out the way. So, like, I didn't even first of all, I didn't even know a seatbelt could unbuckle this fast. It came flying off so quick, it smashed into the window. I thought I broke the window, <laughs> and all all you hear is me screaming, "Jazz, Jazz!" <laughs> You gotta pull the car over. <laughs> like, like you gotta. It swerves the car almost like another car trying to see what the hell I'm screaming about. She's like, "What the hell is wrong with you?" And I'm, by this point, I've already made up my mind. I have to get out of the front seat, but I don't want to turn my back to the spider because I'm thinking the absolute worst case scenario that it's gonna grow ten times bigger and jump on my back. So, so I'm like trying to crawl into the back seat without turning my back to it. And my big ass can't do it. <laughs> I'm 5'11", 270. It's not happening. <laughs> so I'm trying to crawl away, but it's not working. At this point, Jasmine realizes what I'm running from, so now she's panicking. So she's screaming at me, get something to kill it. <laughs> and I'm like, there's no way in hell I'm about to reach my hand over to this spider. <laughs> so remind you, she's still driving, swerving all over the place. 
the spider starts to crawl across the dashboard towards her side of the car. So what does she do? She thinks it's smart to start blowing at it to blow back to my side. <laughs> so naturally, I was like, hold up. This, this ain't going to work. So I start blowing it back over her to her way. Next you know, I said, screw it. <laughs> I figured we're not going to make it anyway. I try to jump out of a moving car. <laughs> the car is doing like 35, and I try to just make take a leap of faith. I'm like, screw it. It's not worth, it's not worth going through all this. Unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, however you want to look at it, Ford Focus has that lock smart thing. It won't unlock the door if the car is moving. <laughs> so I couldn't get out. Eventually, she pulled over. We got out screaming. There's like a cop in the parking lot she pulls over at. He's looking at us like we're crazy. <laughs> and then she eventually goes in and kills him and tries to crawl down and run away. Yeah, that was an interesting uh, 10 minutes of our lives. <laughs> My thing, you got minutes, the most like dramatic life of anybody oh, I know. It's just you can't get through a week. Without no. <laughs> some, and here's the thing: it's always a near death experience. That's not a near death experience. It's always I don't know how you achieve this, man. Man, I tell people all the time, I'm like the real life Doseki. <laughs> that's, that's me. I'm the most interesting man alive. The most interesting man on <laughs> Two uh, hey, two, it, two it, related uh, references before we get to some football. Number one, clearly your your least favorite. Football play has to be without question. Spider two Y two banana. John Gruden shout out there. Spider did not want to get Go figure. Well, there you go. Hey, throw this. Throw this in the post on the site if you can remember to do it when we re-listen to this. Camel spiders. As a Iraqi veteran, I am a big fan of camel spiders. Uh, go ahead and look them up if you've never seen them. They're your best friend. I'm gonna bring you some camel spiders. I would also tell you this, Mike, and if you if you now if you're worried about spiders, you do not want my childhood going to summer camp in the middle of nowhere, Texas, bro. Spiders oh, are not small. Speaking of not small, yeah. <laughs> problems from the loss, issues from the loss, good things from the from the loss. There's a, there's a lot to discuss, man. When we need to start, man. You know what? Let's let's start with the bad, you know, so we can end this this section this section on a good note. <laughs> you know, let's, let's let me let me ask yeah. you this: what's what's the what's the worst or the most concerning thing coming out of the game now that now that we've had some time? Is no, well, it is overreaction Monday, but it's late overreaction Monday. What's the the thing that's bugging you the most moving forward about how we lost or what we did in the loss? That's a good question. The thing that's bugging me the most, that's the thing about it. That's what makes this loss so weird. There's nothing really bugging me super hard, like the run defense. Mm. I said this last week. <laughs> I said last week it stood out to me how Frank Gore was running yeah. the ball, and I wonder what's going to happen when you get a younger, more spry back that can pop some of those. Well, we saw. So it was like I already knew this was coming, you know, it, but it was overlooked because the coach had to start throwing the ball and they couldn't keep running it, but they was churning out some yards running it with Frank Gore. So it was like, okay, well, I, I, I foreseen this last week. I caught it. So that's not a surprise. And then Jared Goff, he had some ups and downs, but he wasn't terrible by any stretch of the imagination. We have one uh, fellow TST uh, Ramley member on the staff who's not thrilled with Goff at all. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it, it wasn't. It wasn't something that, I, that you know, you have to hit the panic button about or anything like that. He actually had a really good stretch during the game at one point, you know, so not uh, nothing there. 
would say the biggest surprise wasn't a negative. It was a positive, and that was Todd Gurley. <laughs> so my biggest surprise was Todd Gurley. Uh, he ran mm-hmm. better. Um, when, I, when I went back and I reviewed the tape last night, I'm looking at it, and I'm just like, you know what? This was probably the best, not probably, indeed it was, the best game seen from Todd Gurley in two years, legitimately. Mm-hmm. It's not even remotely close. Since his rookie season, he has not had a game this this good. And it wasn't that he, you know, for 150 yards or anything like that, but he ran a lot harder. Um, he ran with the most patience I've seen him run with since entering the league. Even when he was on his hot streak to start, the, start the, his career, he wasn't running with this type of patience. Like, he ran with some legitimate patience. And to me, that just I think that's kind of coaching um, because – what's different between the last 26 games and this one, <laughs> you know, um, and that's, I would say that it's coaching. I think that after watching one game of tape, the coaches went back and said, look, this is what you're doing wrong. And that's what the, that's what they worked on in, in, um, in, in practice this week. It, it was, he, he looked like he was more patient looking for creases as opposed to just running, running into the back of his life. So uh, the surprise to me wasn't a negative. It was actually a positive. What do you got? Uh, well, let, let me respond to yours. One thing I think that's interesting is, obvi- obviously, everybody wanted to talk about the run defense. It was bad. It was very, 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 very bad. Yeah. But I, I do wonder how much of that was the Rams scheming to shut down the pass and allowing the run game to flourish. Um, Kirk Cousins finished 18 to 27, 179 yards, one touchdown. If if you ask every team going into any Sunday that involves Washington, will they take a 18 for 27, 179 yard, one touchdown performance from Kirk Cousins? 31 teams will take that. The only team that wouldn't would be Washington. So as mu- as much as we can say the the run defense was abysmal and it was, I do wonder how much of that was focusing on making sure they didn't die by Kirk Cousins' hand. And to that degree, they obviously did a very, very, very good job. Um, so, yeah, run defense itself was very bad. Um, the If I'm picking one thing that uh, stuck with me or that I was disappointed or but that I'm still worried about, it's kind of the opposite of what we talked about about week one in the preseason when you asked me what was my the thing I enjoyed most, right? My answer on those was – that I forgot that Sean McVay was a first-time head coach, that he was the youngest head coach in NFL history. I didn't forget that this week, whether it was uh, burning, burning timeouts or getting completely outplayed in the scripted part of this game. Through the first six possessions, the first three possessions on each side, this game was headed towards a 46-9 to outcome in Washington's favor. Uh, and whether whether that's because we weren't mentally ready to play or because we hadn't you know, schemed up the right game plan for the first couple scripted uh, possessions. Either way, that's on the coaching staff and Sean McVay. So, um, one good, one great. I would, I would agree. I would agree with you. Um, real quick, I would just say this. I would say that because with me, the re- the whole reason I picked Washington to win this game was because, you know, you have McVay and you have Gruden, and Gruden, you know, like raised McVay and Dan Selrich, you know, him and him and his brother, they yeah. raised them. That's who he gives all his credit to, you know. Um, and my thing was it's going to come down because they're so similar in offense and style of defense and everything, and they know each other so well, it's going to come down to who can outcoach who. It's going to be teacher versus student. 
And usually when you get to this level, you don't pass the teacher so quickly. So that's kind of why I picked it. And as you mentioned, it, he was he was he's definitely out coached, and that's kind of expected. And 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 you know, I think as far as the running game, I think they looked at the the coach tape, and they was just like, man, the coach were moving the ball until they got blew out, and they had to start throwing it. Let's punch down their throat, <laughs> and that's what they did. Yeah. So McVay, uh, he's still learning, but he definitely showed that he was a rookie coach this weekend. I'll, I'll give you a surprise one. It's not really something I was disappointed from in the game. It's something I'm, I've been disappointed in the reaction to the game from a lot of people, <laughs> and that's the reaction to Todd Gurley. And it's not, it's not that he had a bad game by any means. He had, you know, 150-ish uh, all-purpose yards, average more than five yards per run. It's that the goalposts have shifted so decidedly for Todd Gurley that an an 88 yard rushing game with a one yard rushing <laughs> touchdown without any 20 yard run yeah. is ne- where you're going. Th- th- again Todd Gurley was the 10th overall pick in the draft. He was somebody that Jeff Fisher said was a once in a 10 year running back that had ESPN the magazine throwing out legend, had fans talk about Hall of Fame, had everybody talk about this and that, all this other stuff about how incredible he was. There's, there's no doubt that, that this was an acceptable game by any standards from a running back. But, but to, to meet a bar of the expectations that people had for Todd Gurley going into his career, coming out of a Rookie of the Year campaign, and then to suggest that 88 yards rushing and, the, you know, a, a couple catches with a great touchdown finish, a phenomenal touchdown finish on their reception, that that's somehow up to the bar that we expected. The goalposts have shifted so much for Todd Gurley. I, I, and I get it. People are looking for reasons to feel good about Todd Gurley again. But the, the way to do that is to get a good game out of Todd Gurley, not to shift expectations. And so I'm a, I'm a little disappointed the way it's being framed, especially in a game where you look at the running backs on the other side, we're having the kind of game that you want Todd Gurley to have. Chris Thompson's breaking off a 61-yard touchdown. Rob Kelly's breaking off long run after long run after long run. And then Todd, I get, I get it. It's a decent game. It's an above-average game. But to frame it as if you know Todd Gurley's back because he because he averaged five yards a run. That's not that's not agree. what we were advertised. And that's and that's what I don't want is for people to look at this and say, oh, Todd Gurley's the guy that we thought he was. Or not thought, some, people, some people some people are convinced that he is not thought, but he is the player they they feel that he is. So that's what it is because of four games. Me, I don't see that. I see, I see improvement. I see better coaching. I see him making them making tweaks to get some to- some sort of production uh, out of him. Sean McVay even said after last week that the first thing he said was that we have to do better in the run game and we have to cut down on penalties. They certainly accomplished that first part. If anybody, if anybody's trying to convince someone that 88 yards and a touchdown is good enough for Todd Gurley, the, they might be able to convince other Rams fans. They're not convincing anybody outside of this bubble. Anybody outside of this bubble knows 88 yards and a touchdown is replaceable, especially if that's a good day. <laughs> Absolutely. But now I'm hyped up, man. Damn it! Where are we at? <laughs> Okay, so we, we talked about the fact that you were reminded that McVay was a rookie coach. Me, yeah. I definitely yeah. was reminded. But, it, it was, you know, you saw it all over the game. You mentioned the timeouts and stuff. But here's the thing that, that said rookie coach to me. 
in the in the press conference after the game, you know, it's one thing to take blame, but he really was. It seemed like he was really beating himself up about it. Like he could, he like he just couldn't let it go, right? Like it was like this this was on me, this was on me, this was on me. Like, but he wasn't really uh, talking about what he saw or anything like that. It was just like, man, I could have done so much better. Like it was like yep. this one hit home, hit home. And that's that. I think that's that rookie coach first loss when you go through it and it's like, well, man, what what did I do wrong? Like, especially when you're riding on such a high, you know, you got so much hype around you. You just came off a really good first win. Then you then you get crashed back down to reality, and it's just like, man, damn, what the hell did I do? That was to me was like the moment where I looked at it. I was just like, okay, now he's showing that he's a rookie coach because he didn't have uh, composure and that poise that he's been showing all yeah. this time. He, you know, he, he he looked human as before as before he was a superhero, and then after the game talking to the press, that's when he finally it finally came crashing in. Like, okay, I got a lot to learn. Well, what what did you see other than just some of the uh, the blowing timeouts, which still blew my mind. But go ahead. Well, one of the things that always bugs me about you know, either young coaches or inexperienced coaches is not taking opportunity for uh, singular moments when you've got time. So coming out of a bye week, starting the season, uh, and in this case, obviously, the big play was Jared Goff throwing the interception at the end of the game. And I, McVay talked about it at length, and I think fairly he took a lot of responsibility for that. I think this is also one of those things where moving forward where either later this year or next year or in years to come when he hands off play calling duties and he's able to focus on coaching more, you've got to spend part of that time going to Jared Goff and saying, look, we've got a minute 40 left to go. We need to do X, Y, and Z. And part of that starts with the first play. And, and so you've got to get him mentally ready instead of just calling a play and letting him roll out there and, and making sure that he's hand jamming at the Cooper Cup before he even snapped it. You could have asked, what, 80%, 90% of Rams fans would have guessed that the play call would have been a pass to Cooper Cup. That's a security blanket. It's been a security blanket for two games. It was who he went to throughout the game. And to start a drive, if you're trying to force it, you're forcing it to Cooper Cup. Everybody knew it. The fans knew it. Jerry Goff knew it. And obviously Washington knew it. That's one of those things where coach needs to step in and say, look, don't force it. If you, if you take that snap and look up and it, you're worried, take, don't force it because this is not the time. Absolutely. I agree with that 100%. That was my first reaction um, to the interception was why the hell of all the people to throw to, did they throw? Who there's there's absolutely no one like you mentioned that didn't think that he was gonna look up. So it's like games on the line, and and then and then the route that he was throwing, you know, I'm looking at it. I'm saying, okay, they have one timeout, you know, a minute and forty four seconds, forty two seconds, whatever it was, you know, to go. They have enough time, but at the same time, you don't really have time to be doing a whole bunch of five yards, six yards, you know, things like that. Yeah, you know, and. Yeah. And I'm looking at I'm, I'm thinking the first play, they, they got to take a shot for something deep. You know, now I'm not saying they got to look for the home run, but I'm thinking they got to go Consider 25 it. yards, you know, <laughs> you know yeah. something something to really put a dent into this. And um, that wasn't the case. And and he, he went straight to who you expected, and it was just – and he didn't even look away. He he stared him down. It was like, no. I'm, about to, I'm about to throw 10 passes, get us down the field to score, <laughs> and eight of the 10 are going to Cooper Cup. I'm going to Cooper, and Cooper yeah. Cup. And Cooper Cup, don't get me wrong. I've said this all along. I think he's a good player. He might have made eight of those 10 catches. I think he's – He might have made those plays. 
<laughs> I think he's going to be a really good player in this league for a long time. But then again, you have certain receivers, you know, you have, who are just special, you know, where they can go get that ball. They can take that ball. They can literally go down the field and catch eight of ten passes, <laughs> you know, and get you in scoring position or if they don't score themselves. You have those players, but they are very, very rare uh, where yeah. you just say, you know what, everyone in the stadium can know who the ball is going to and he's still going to get it. That's not who Cooper Cup is, and that's not a shot at Cooper Cup because there's just a lot of guys who that isn't his. We saw it with Des Bryant yesterday. <laughs> you know, uh, Des Bryant, everybody knew they were going to go to him. Des Bryant is one of the top receivers in the league. He's still not who we are. <laughs> you know, so that's why I say it, 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 was, uh, it was disappointing that, like you said, there wasn't, you know, some type of talk on the sideline. Hey, if you want to go to him, fine, look him up, or don't stare him down, or go to someone. Don't, don't force, force it. it. Whatever it is, yeah. something, but that never happened. You, you know you know who Cooper Cup is as a wide receiver? He's the kind of – there needs to be almost a stat for assists in football. He's the kind of wide receiver who falls down in front of the goal line and somehow gets up in time while the ball's in the air to catch it and set up a one-yard touchdown. That's what that's what Cooper Cup is. Half of Todd Gurley's touchdown should have gone to Cooper Cup. But what I'd say on Jared Goff is this this season's about his maturation more than anybody else's. And through the first two games, we've seen him turn into an adequate game manager. More than adequate in week one, adequate in week two. But this, that last drive was the first opportunity where we saw him work in a pressure situation where he had to come out and get something done for, for, for three and three quarters of the game on Sunday. And through all of week one, Jared Goff could just sit in the pocket and, and manipulate defenses and take what they were giving him for the first time. He had to come out and be the aggressor and create something and with with his first throw, he failed. So he's just not there yet. Now, now I think the other thing you can say is the playbook hasn't been there yet. Like you talked about, he's not really attacking deep downfield. The Rams aren't working incredibly aggressively, and I think that's okay. You look at his two games, the the performances through these two games compared to the seven from 2016. I don't think anybody would be upset about the performance, but there's a lot of room to grow, and I think that that exists both for you know, the three-and-a-half quarters that set up the dramatic period at the end of games, but obviously given what we saw in that last possession, that final one. Um, but that's your Goff, Todd Gurley, the wide receivers. A lot of people, look, we talked about the defense, Mice, and we talked about this, the football outsiders almanac that projected the Rams, you know, to have the second-best overall defense, something that got some credibility after week one. That credibility might be gone, man. This did not look like a second-best overall defense in week two. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, it was it was, um, it was terrible. I mean, <sighs> this is how I viewed it. I saw really good things from the pass rush. Um, Robert Quinn looks to be I, – I, this is something that I was really pounding on a lot this summer. And uh, I would definitely say that uh, it's a risk because of the frequency of the injuries lately. But my thing was, Robert Quinn is 27, going on 28 at the time I was saying it. You know, he's, he's like in the prime of his career. It seems like he's been around forever because he came into the league at 20 years old, <laughs> you know, but he's still very young. Um, I look at it and I say, well, when you have a guy of this, this, this caliber, if he's healthy, he's probably going to produce. And he looks, like he's gonna, he looks like he's back. 
But then you also you look at the uh, the rest of the defense, and you say, okay, True was playing really well. You know, before he left at the end of the game with the leg injury, he just took Terrell Pryor out of the game. And he did the same thing with T.Y. Hilton last week. So there's certain things about the defense you feel good about. You look at the pass rush, you're like, I feel pretty good, except for Kyle Baldwin. When the hell is he going to show up? <laughs> but, you know, you look at it and say, defense pass rush looks good. Pass defense looks like there's something to work with. Got some questions about the, the depth of the quarterback position, but there's some things to work with. But then you look at the run, the run defense, and it's like, this is a major Achilles heel. How far can this team really go just getting ran on like this, especially when, the, when your quarterback is still learning so much and you, your running back isn't consistent? It's not like you can just out – Perform other teams. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't, I don't have an answer. I think the kind of kind of similar to what I was talking about with Sean McVay, the idea that he looked like a first year head coach. We've got two converted inside linebackers in Alec Ogletree, who's converted from the outside, and Mark Barron, who's converted as a safety. They look like convert, converted inside linebackers, and you wonder. Given given how easy it was for Washington to run the ball, if people are going to start to expose that, especially given who we're facing moving ahead, you got not to get too far ahead of us. I know we got a couple other things we want to discuss. San Francisco next week, and uh, that'll 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 be an interesting barometer given 2016. But then after that, you got Ezekiel Elliott in Week Four with the Cowboys. You got Seattle; they've got some offensive line problems, but still are you know, a threat in a running game that we've struggled with before. Leonard Fournette in week six, and then Arizona in week seven. We'll have to see if David Johnson's anywhere near uh, returning by then before the bye week. But you you got some threats, especially Ezekiel Elliott and Leonard Fournette, that are individually more talented. And if this run defense is not up to shape, it's one of those things where you can – we just saw it. You you might be able to shut down a quarterback and, and maybe not even do as well against Kirk Cousins as they do against future quarterbacks. But if you can't shut down that run game, it's going to open things up for the opposing offense that are going to be really hard to deal with. Furthermore, the Rams don't have a lot of home games coming up. Um, they're going to be on the road oh, a no. lot, a whole lot. They got – they got, you, they got go, roll week seven – I was just going to say, remember, week seven is a home game in London – between exactly. right now, today, today is September 18th, and November 11th, September 18th to November 11th, the Rams have one game in Los Angeles, bro. Yeah, that's huge because when you're talking about struggling with the run, and you you know you're going against you're going into other uh, teams' fields and you're having to deal with the noise and all this other stuff, it's it can be troublesome, <laughs> especially if you know the defense. You know, defense and, you know, the the offense is struggling to move the ball. I'm not saying that they're going to struggle, but we we, 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 did, we weren't as efficient as we were with the Colts. Let's put it that way. We're going to see better teams than the um, the, 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 uh, red, uh, the rest game. It's like when you look at San Francisco through the first two weeks, no one's expecting them to blow the roof off, but their defense has played very, very well. The offense, yeah. Defense is playing really well, so it makes you wonder. Okay, what's going to happen? When we are we going to see a, a, a slobber knocker on Thursday night? You know, what is that going to do to um, to the team's just overall morale? They were riding really high. Right now, they're kind of middle of the pack. They don't have a long week to shake it off. You know, they don't have a regular week. They're back. They got two days of practice. That's it. <laughs> two days, and they took today off. <laughs> you know. Yep. So, it's going to be an interesting. And it was just a walkthrough. Uh, it wasn't even a full practice. It was just a walkthrough, and they took it off. <laughs> and they took it off. You know, so 
it's going to be an interesting uh, stretch here uh, over the next month and a half of uh, games where we're going to really see what they're made of. Um, but, however, in seeing what they're made of, we are dealing with some injuries, <laughs> which is oh, yeah. really, really going to play a huge role in seeing what they're made of because now you have to really dig deep. Um, we, Tremaine Johnson, don't really know the status of it, but, you know, it's been as good as a player as Tremaine Johnson is. Injuries has been his biggest Achilles heel, um, pun fully intended right there. But, uh, you know, he had a leg injury. Uh, Gerald Everett, he goes out. Kayvon Webster didn't play. You you have to start to wonder what are they going to do here to help this uh, secondary because they're dropping like flies and you you know if if we don't again don't know Stanley Tremaine Johnson's injury but if he's has to miss the time a week or two how do you feel that void especially with Kayvon Webster still not ready you get Troy Hill back but let's all be real here Troy Hill was the worst cover corner that the Rams had last year by far wasn't even close. Troy Hill is more so a really good special teamer than he is a good corner. So what do you do? Um, my fear is that you have the the Case Keenum uh, result where you cut a guy oh, no. and then you turn around and you trade a six or seven round draft pick to the Browns to get Mike Jordan back. <laughs> it's like, well, then why'd you cut him? <laughs> That's what I don't want to see. But we have to find some type of solution to make this stuff happen. What are you thinking about the situation? Yeah, I don't know about cornerback. I don't know that. I mean, that's the the answer to that situation is make sure you're not in it. Um, the official injury report listed Malcolm Brown, Gerald Everett, and Kayvon Webster, uh, and Sean McVay at his uh, press availability not too long ago just said that had it been a legitimate, a full go practice, none of the three would have contributed. So you've got. Malcolm Brown, Kayvon Webster, Gerald Everett, legitimately dealing with injury issues. You got Trumaine Johnson, like you said, coming off of a injury that stalled him mid-game. You got Robert Quinn, seemingly not a hundred percent, whether that's injuries or, uh, you know, what's the right word? I guess stamina or, or kind of you know football readiness. And then you got Aaron Donald, not football ready really either because he's coming back from his holdout, so he's not really 100% is, I guess, what you could say. Um, yeah, th- th- I mean, we're going to have personnel issues. And you, you went through 2016 where you didn't have nearly anywhere near a- as many personnel issues as many other teams. Um, and they're coming. And, and they're probably going to come in bigger ways. Look, we already lost Dominique Easley and Tamara Hemingway for the season. Uh, I think the good thing is that we're going into week three and we're still talking about, you know, minor or – Intermediate yeah. uh, guys missing out and and not you know full time old. Yeah, and, and we're not missing guys for they, weeks at a time. We're, we're not missing Greg Olson. Exactly. <laughs> you see what he did there, folks. You see Joe found the positive. You all said he was too negative. Leave my guy alone. Way <laughs> 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 to flip it there. So found the positive and everything. <laughs> Well, here's the you know, positive. Right here's the positive. We're we're looking good on the roster, and, and the team's looking better. That the ceiling's high. There's plenty of positives, man. That uh, part of, like what you said. Part of the problem is that people want positives when things aren't positive. They want positives in a four and twelve season. That it, yeah. instead of wanting the positives to be the football itself, the good thing is the football's getting more positive, and I think uh, hopefully we can start to see that moving forward. Absolutely. So real quick, you know, I'm going to throw a negative out because we're getting way too positive on this damn show and I don't like it. What the hell is up with Connor Barwin? <laughs> I mean, at this point, 
I would have yeah. rather us just keep Will Hayes and let him stand up. I don't. I know Will Man. Hayes is really good pass rusher, but he's not a stand up guy. But hell, kind of Barwin looks like he should have retired three years ago. What, uh, what is this? I mean, they 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 put up that where uh, average distance for quarterback when the uh, ball is thrown for uh, the Rams, the league average was four point four eight yards. Kind of Barwin is five point four two away. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas uh, you got. Uh, Robert Quinn, who's like three yards away, and uh, Aaron Donald, who's like right there with him. You know, like they're both well above the league average or well below the league average in this particular case. And Barron's just not even showing up anywhere, like in any form, any type of stat you can find. And, I mean, it could be something that's in the in the box score stat or it could be the analytics. He's not there. <laughs> it's just like he's, well, he's, he's, he hasn't done anything in in two games. He has another big impact, no doubt. I think the thing is, like you mentioned with William Hayes, that that was an addition Jeff Fisher made in his early years with the Rams, uh, largely because they had a relationship, obviously, from the Titans. Connor Barwin comes over from uh, – where did he come from? Philly or Houston? He came over for Houston. Had he came over that experience Eagles. with – he came over well, yeah, from Philadelphia. That's right. Houston. He came, yeah, he played with me. Right. He came over from Philadelphia but had time with the Texans when Wade Phillips was the defensive coordinator there, so he knew some of the system. And I think there's a comfort level for having guys, kind of like John Sullivan playing center, you know, working yeah. in Washington with Sean McVay. You got that similar kind of system awareness and experience to be able to come over, and you don't have to worry about those kind of things. The problem maybe with Connor Barwin versus William Hayes is you look back at Jeff Fisher – he had two starting relatively young defensive ends already operating in Robert Quinn and Chris Long. The problem now is when you look at the edge rush, you don't have that. And so the Rams had to go out and draft some guys to provide some depth at the edge, something they haven't done in a while because they've had so much certainty for years at that position. And so, you know, year one, trade William Hayes, cut Eugene Sims. It's a complete overhaul at that position, bringing in – Connor Barwin and then drafting, you know, Samson Ebicam, Abukum, and uh, Ewan Price, and whoever else they're going to get to fill in snaps if we get some injuries at the position. Uh, it, it's one of those things that I, I don't know that they were in a great spot. There, there was so much to do for this roster to get it set up for Wade Phillips and Sean McVay. Some positions were going to have to wait a bit, and it feels like uh, outside Absolutely. linebacker might have been one of those, and that's part of the reason why. You know, you, you kind of had to go in hoping that Connor Barwin played above level, and to this point, yeah, he hasn't. Um, well, I, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know that there's a lot of optimism there. I think the, the optimism may be that he can just hold his own and be the kind of guy that we stop asking questions about to let guys like Robert Quinn, Aaron Donald make plays. You know, I, I don't really have the faith that, uh, that that's what's going to happen, but I do – I am very – just to see what Samson Buckham can do, or uh, more so than anything, I really would like to see Price get a shot. Now, again, it's, it's still only two games in, so it's, it's too early to just kick Connor Ball into the curve. But if we if we continue to see this just non-existent, it's almost like they have ten people on the field. <laughs> you know, uh, he's literally non-existent. Um, if this continues, then at what point do you know we have to say, okay, it's time to get someone else in there? Yeah, and I think the the biggest question is long term. You got Connor Barwin on one side. You got Robert Quinn, who isn't really looking like Robert Quinn either. I mean, you pointed out Connor Barwin. I might well point out Robert Quinn. He he's looking better than Connor Barwin, but he's not. Li- if if you're looking at a Wade Phillips top defense, 
you know, DeMarcus Ware in, with the Cowboys, Von Miller with Denver. You've got to have somebody that's coming with heat on the outside. And the Rams don't really have that right now. And so the question becomes, does that does that skyrocket towards the top of our roster need? And uh, we'll have to see, man. I guess, I guess the, the, a good opportunity now in front of us to look at that is a really, really – what's the right word, inviting opponent with the San Francisco 49ers. Because <laughs> this, this is the kind of game when Robert Quinn and Connor Baldwin should eat, even given where they're at. This is the kind of game where they need to produce. I agree 100%. Like if, there, if there's ever a time that you could have a short week, this is it. <laughs> you know, you got your rookie coach losing his first game, and he seemed pretty affected by it, almost shell-shocked, like, it's, I don't think he thought there was a chance in hell he was going to lose that game against Red He Red felt Edge. some emotion. <laughs> he felt some emotion. You know, there, there, was, there was some real emotion there. And, um, you know, the, the, like I said, you were coming off high. When you crash down like that, that low feels lower than it normally would when you're not as high, you know. Um, so if there was ever a time for you have a short week, this was it. <laughs> the problem is they're using their short week up. They've got to get figure out how to get past these things and get it rolling earlier on because you're not going to have a bunch of short weeks where you can just have to bounce back, you know, and get an opportunity against a, an opponent that, that may not be as good as the one that just beat you. You know, so they've they got a short week against an opponent that's not quite as good. You know, everything's playing in their favor for this week to kind of rebound. But, again, the 49ers, you just never know. <laughs> you never know when the Rams are 49 Even when the Rams were absolutely terrible in 2011, I can remember watching the 49ers when they were just getting good, and everyone's mm-hmm. big coming to the game. Okay, coming to the game against the Rams, and no one saw it coming. But then it's like a shootout. <laughs> you know, it's something about when these two teams play. No matter how the other one is playing, it's always a matchup. You know, it's, it's, I think that's what rivalries do. It brings the best out of everyone. You know, so you you don't want to say that it's all in. That they that they've got it. But again, if there's a time to to face a team that's not quite as good as the one that you just lost and to do it on a short week where you can quickly bounce back and try to move forward and get guys like Robert Quinn opportunity and the call the tower ball and to see what they got, this is it. I'll tell you this, though. The player that I'm looking forward to seeing against the uh, 49ers is none other than Aaron Donald. Remember the last time he went to San Fran. <laughs> he got kicked out of San Fran, you know, and uh, coming back, not playing as many snaps as he probably wanted to, but – uh, still getting, still just getting back. It's going to be interesting. You know, Aaron Donald is probably one of the fit and interesting players in the league. All the Duke guy does is work out. <laughs> you know, so yeah. I'm pretty sure he's in pretty good shape. But they were they were really cautious with him. So we'll see how it goes with the 49ers. I'll give you I'll give you a random X factor. I called Gerald Everett before the game in week two. I'm hoping to do the same this week. I'll give you an X factor, man. Robert Woods. This is a guy that really str- I'm, I'm being nice. Really struggled last week. Had penalty issues. Had a big drop. Uh, hasn't had the impact. And obviously, when you bring in Sammy Watkins and him down to the second wide receiver slot. The opportunity diminishes too, but he hasn't had the impact. We talked about Connor Baldwin. Robert Woods hasn't had nearly the impact that a lot of people were hoping when okay. he signed that big free agent contract, right? Back in March. Okay, look. So I, I wasn't going to say anything, but you brought it up. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, you know what you got. <laughs> look, I wasn't going to say anything, but damn it, I said it from the time he was signed. Why the hell would you go sign? Look, here's my th- here's my thing with Robert Quinn. To me, Robert Quinn isn't even a good number two receiver. He's a number three receiver. Robert Woods, you're talking about. You said Robert Quinn. I was oh, like, yeah, Robert Woods. Yeah, Robert yeah. Woods. 
He is a number three receiver. Even when last year, and I'm gonna, I'm really gonna hit on this because it keeps bugging me. Like how people are excited about this duo, the duo of Sammy Watkins and Robert Woods. It makes no sense to me how yep. anyone could be excited about that. But when when Sammy Watkins is hurt in Buffalo last year, he's gone for what like eleven games. And so who's like, their de facto number? Who's their de facto number one? Robert Woods. He didn't do shit with it. <laughs> he didn't do anything. And his opportunity as the go-to guy. He didn't do anything. He didn't even score a touchdown in that spin. So it's like, give me a break. <laughs> he's not that. He's a number three receiver at best. You know, I don't think he's a terrible receiver by any stretch of the imagination, but he's just – this is, reminds me so much of when you had Brandon Gibson getting forced as the Rams' number one receiver. It's like I'm not saying he's on as bad as Brandon Gibson because he's not a bad player. He's just a number three, <laughs> you, you know, so – the thing that bothers me about it is you have Sammy Watkins and you have Robert Woods. They were not a prolific receiving duo in Buffalo. What the hell makes people think they're suddenly going to be a prolific receiving duo now? You just literally mm-hmm. took someone else's guys that they did, that they seen as not good enough, we need more, and said, now they're ours. We're going to show that they're more. I know it's one thing to take one player, but you literally took them both. And you inserted them both into the story lineup. You gave one of them a nice chunk of change, you know. Yeah. And it's like this: everything is supposed to be different now. We've seen what they can do together for three years. Uh, it hasn't been anything. You know, nothing's paid off. So now, yeah. now why is it going to change all of a sudden? So I'll, I'll play the optimist, and I'll, I'll give you three reasons. Well, three mild reasons why, and then I. I'll be the realist because that's what I'm most comfortable being. Is it, most, most people think I'm this negative guy. I'm not negative, man. I'm a realist. So here, here's the three points from the optimist point of view, three reasons why Robert Woods could be more successful with us over the course of this contract than he was with Buffalo. Number one is that he's got a different quarterback, and we'll leave, I'll leave it at that. Number two, he's got a different offensive system, and especially if, especially if my boy Gerald Everett can get back healthy and provide a safety valve, I think that could be an, uh, another option. The third is just surrounding talent. When you talk about uh, what made up the offensive line in Buffalo, their running game, although LaShawn McCoy is a beast, that maybe you get to a point where Robert Woods is more comfortable with his role with the Rams than he was in Buffalo. So those three, I think, might be able to contribute to a renaissance for Robert Woods, at least the opportunity. But what I would say as a realist – is for all the reasons that I just listed and you just listed, the pressure's on for Robert Woods, right? He came in as a big free agent addition. Then we traded for Sammy Watkins. You got Gerald Everett. You got Cooper Cup. You got all this youth in the depth with Josh Reynolds and Farrell Cooper and Mike Thomas coming back in a couple weeks. If, if Robert Woods is having the kind of games like we saw in week two, I think there's going to be some pressure on the coaching staff and at least – you know, you know, for the fans to say, look, we got to start giving some snaps to somebody else. You started to see it this week from Tavon Austin, where people are like, look, it's time to move on. We, we, we got as much as we, you know, love Tavon coming out of the draft for the Rams. He's just not a viable part of this offense. And there, we've got stuff we've got to start accomplishing. And that's just not going to include Tavon. It's going to include Robert Wood, Sammy Watkins, Josh Reynolds, Malcolm Brown for those plays out of the backfield. Let's just start moving on. And if Robert Wood is having performances like week two, I could see a lot of pressure from fans saying, look, as much as, as big of a signing as he was, like you said, there's some, there's some performance issues that he's providing that we got to start moving on from because the team's bigger. Is we, not me.
Hashtag. <laughs> exactly. We not be in. You know what? That's the perfect spot to end. So let's talk about the. Uh, let's talk about some college football and get getting ready. Ooh. What you got for us? Oh. Oh, where to start? USC Texas. As a fair place to start, Clemson Louisville. Those are not not as good a game. I was really hoping for a better game out of Clemson Louisville. Did you watch? Did you watch any college football this week? I did. I did. I saw all of those that you named. Which one was your favorite? Uh, UCLA Memphis. <laughs> I know. I know. We probably got some UCLA fans that probably upset them at that kind of a game. I love a good game when you get towards a hundred points and people are still pointing fingers at the offense. Like there, they're probably like, "Wait a second, hold on, man. You put up forty-five points. Why are you mad at the quarterback? Well, he made that one decision. Uh, how about the fifty decisions that the defense made to give up forty-five points? Um, right." I don't, you know, I, I, I guess if there's I didn't a big watch the Memphis game, but I watched the highlights. And I was just like, who? First off, who saw this coming? The first thing I thought about was the year of Paxton Lynch, and I'm just how he just kind of came out of nowhere, lighting teams up, and that was my first thought. And I was just like, Memphis just seems to be some team's kryptonite. <laughs> like, they just come out of nowhere and beat teams when you don't expect them to win. But yeah, it was. It was a lot of passing going on in the game. Let's put it that way. <laughs> the the thing that was interesting about Memphis is in previous years, people said, oh, it's Justin Fuentes. It's Justin Fuentes. He's the head coach of Virginia Tech now. So it's one of those things where if they're continuing to snipe people off like UCLA, it's not a coaching thing. Um, I guess the, the one thing I was perhaps surprised about, and I know this didn't really register on a national level because the game wasn't that big. I don't know if you saw this. LSU – was ranked 12th overall, and LSU was a team filled with NFL talent. They got stomped 37-7 to by Mississippi State, man. <laughs> this is the same Mississippi State team that couldn't recover us a botch snap that went 90 yards the opposite way, <laughs> and they still didn't get it. You know, that, that, that – um, that was a shocker. Let me just put it that way. Um, I don't even know what to say. I – Thirty-seven to seven. That's not. It would have been a shocker if they had won thirty-seven to thirty. They won thirty-seven to seven. Like my thing is, and I've been asking this for what two years now. LSU's quarterback situation it is it's a major head scratcher, and I look at it. I'm just like, at what point, like. Who do you have behind this kid that you're so afraid to put in? Like because he's so bad. You're only asked to throw the ball in LSU's offense like 18 times a game. You know, it's not like they're asking you to go out there and light it up and be the man. You know, they're not asking you to go out there and you know audible at the line and be Jameis Winston at Florida State or something like that. You know, that's that's not what they're asking you there. But Edling is so bad. <laughs> He's just a good. Out to this day, I have to wonder how the hell did he get? He must have been amazing at high school. Because how did you get recruited to LSU? But you're so bad at this level. Like he's really, really bad. But yet they do not take him out. They, they, like, what is up? Like, how how come they cannot get a quarterback in there? That's been their biggest Achilles heel. Is that when they have to pass, cannot do it. And when they played this game against Mississippi State, Fitzgerald. He built he built that lead, and then they couldn't stop the run to save their life. William Fitzgerald looks like an NFL quarterback, man. He looks he like an he, NFL he, quarterback. This is the second week in a row where he he was jamming, you know. So it's like he's probably going to be one of those guys that's kind of come out of nowhere, you know, where everybody's like, where did this kid come from? And I think he's a junior, so it's like 
everybody's like, well, where'd this kid come from? You know, how can we how can we don't have more on him? You know, he's going to be one of those guys that kind of late riser, you know, like a Nathan Peterman or something like that last year. Um, but LSU, they, they've got some serious questions going on there. Um, real quick before we keep move forward, you know, looking at since you talked, you mentioned the uh, NFL talent on the LSU team, and you know, you talk about defense being something that the Rams are probably going to have to look at early, you know, this upcoming year in the draft. Yeah, you know where I'm going with this. You know, we, have, we need pass rushers. We, we need corners. And second, look, here's the thing. Here's the simple truth of the matter. The Rams have a lot of free agents coming up, which seems to be the case every year. <laughs> but I guess that's what happens when you have 10 picks every draft. <laughs> you know, you those yeah. guys all become free agents at the same time. The Rams have a lot of free agents coming up. They dropped the ball so bad with re-signing pass picks that guys like Tremaine Johnson have carried over until this draft class being re-signed. You know, so you, you have so many guys that need to be re-signed. They're not going to re-sign them all. Um, I would, personally, I would say that linebacker, whether you're looking at inside or outside, and corner are probably the most important spots because I think they're at the very least going to get back one of, if not both, but one of Marcus Joyner or Mo, uh, Mo Alexander, you know, so you can at least get one of your corners back. I'm not so con- or safety, but I'm not so confident about corner. I would say corner and linebacker. Who are some guys in college football that you're looking at like, hey, this is some guys we need to be watching through the first three weeks of the pre- of college football season. These guys have stood out to me at cornerback or linebacker position. Are you talking about all of college football or just LSU? No, just, just all of football. Who stood out to you? I think well. See, part of the problem is what we were talking about in the the team room today. Is it's it's one thing to look at the roster right now and say, "Here's who makes sense from college football." It's another thing to try to project where we're going to be in March, right? You got Alec Ogletree coming on an expiring contract, like you mentioned, Lamarcus Joyner, uh, Maurice Alexander. You got Connor Barwin. You could see cuts. All, 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 all kinds of different places on this roster based on where we are contractually going into 2018. Uh, and so I think part of what's difficult is to know where the priority is this year versus other years. Two years, three years ago, the priority was pretty easy. When you could look at wide receiver, offensive line, it took us a couple of years to get there. We kept spending third-round picks on Sean Mannion and first-round picks on Todd Gurley, but eventually we got to fill those picks uh, either through the draft or through free agency. Moving into next year, I don't, I don't know, man. This, this this roster gets really hard to parse where we need to fill things in. If we're looking at defense, you said linebacker and cornerback. Linebacker, you know, if we're talking about outside linebacker, Arden Key, you mentioned LSU. He's a phenomenal pass rusher. If you're looking for somebody that's, that's game ready now, you got to look at, oh, boy, what's up at uh, Boston College, Harold Landry. Uh, He's going to be obviously a talent that, uh, you know, is going to provide game one readiness. I think the question is, over the course of this season, how much does he prove that he's ready for the NFL coming out of Boston College? Sometimes you miss with those guys that don't uh, come out of the programs where they're surrounded by talent. Sometimes uh, they're ready for it. Uh, Inside linebacker, I don't know that I like this class very much for inside linebacker. And the problem is that, you know, we talked about Alec Ogletree. We talked about Mark Barron sparingly. This could be a draft where the Rams – it's one of those drafts where you really wish you had a second-round pick because if you're looking at inside linebacker, you can get some quality guys there. The way the Rams got James Laurinaitis, you know, decade-ish ago. I can't believe it's a decade, man. They were starting to talk about guys like that. Um, 
Thinking about the Roger Saffold being picked, mm-hmm. I was like, man, he's the oldest senior limb. <laughs> and, and and that's another position that you got to start thinking when you talk about Andrew Whitworth, Connor Barwin, Roger Saffold, guys that are John Sullivan, guys that are coming up on age that are going to need replacements with. What was interesting was watching that Clemson-Louisville game. They got some fit-ins for those guys. Tyrone Crowder, offensive lineman from Clemson. Uh, what's the uh, inside linebacker they got? Kendall Joseph, if you've seen him. Yeah. He's a guy that could play the inside. Uh, and similarly, you talk about ACC teams, Florida State, the cornerback that they got, that is huge. Uh, Tavares McFadden, six foot two, six foot three. It'll be interesting to see yeah. what he measures at the that's, combine. That's, that's a guy that you'd love to play – He's one of my favorite. Derwin James are my favorite defensive backs. Derwin James is a beast. Derwin James is a beast, too. Derwin James is more of an athlete that you can – he's one of those guys that's going to be real interesting when he gets to the NFL because he's almost like a – what's his his name out of Michigan? Uh, Jabril Peppers. Just like Jabril Peppers where, okay, this dude is just too damn good at football. Find a way to make it work. Tavares McFadden plays a position. Derwin James and Jabril Peppers, you got to let them play more than one position because they're so damn good at the sport. You just got to find ways to get them involved. And the interesting thing is, I would say Derwin James is better at the college level than Jabril Peppers was. Um, I mean, and that's if you don't include the return ability, because obviously, you know, the return ability was huge. But if you're just talking about strictly defense, oh my goodness, it's like. Derwin James, like they, like you said, they line him up all over the place. He's primarily at safety, but you see him at corner. You see him at all corners, inside, outside, doesn't matter. You see him down in the box. <laughs> like, I've seen him rush him off the edge like he was a DN before. Like the kid can literally just play football, like he said. And that's why I like him because he does all of it so well. I think ultimately he does end up as a safety, but I would not in the least bit be surprised it's kind of like Jalen Ramsey, where you saw him play a lot of safety at Florida State, but then it turned out to be like the perfect corner in the NFL. Linebacker. Really, yeah. Oh, sure. Who's really playing, he's really playing well, too, at that for Jacksonville. I think they can kind of be Derwin James, where he can go play corner at the NFL even, because so, he has that ability. So I really like watching him. And then you mentioned McFadden. I love watching McFadden. The kid, he just has great ball skills. And one other corner that I really like, Minka Fitz, uh, Fitzpatrick with uh, Alabama. That Alabama. Kid. Minka's bad, man. The thing that, that makes kid, Minka weird, this is a dude from New Jersey that goes to play at Alabama? What kind of shit is that? What is the what? <laughs> exactly. They get him from all over, man. You know that. But, yeah, it's uh, going to be a, it's gonna be an interesting draft. Of course. The thing is, I agree 100%. I think I've mentioned this before that you're looking at uh, positions to uh, build on. I know I mentioned it in the team chat earlier that if you're looking at offense, I think the only position that you can even look at in the first round of offense is lineman. I it's got to be line. tackle. Yeah. You know, um, I, yeah. I do think offense we need to address line. the running back position. I think we need to address the running back, back position, get some security, but something that you don't have to do in the first round, evident from all over the NFL, you know, um, and then linebacker, I've said this before. I know that you asked me before, you know, what's a more – Are you talking about more inside more? linebacker or outside linebacker? Doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, what's a, I know you asked me before, you know, a few weeks ago. I, disag- I disagree, Mason. Those are, two, those are two very different positions. <laughs> They're very, very different. But here's the point that I'm making. You asked me a few weeks ago, what's more important, re-signing true or re-signing uh, Ogletree? 
And I say it's true because it's harder to find yeah. a corner that's really good at his job than it is a linebacker. Yeah. And whether it's outside or inside, and no matter what the scheme is, it's so much easier to find a linebacker that's effective than it is a corner that you can go out there and put on island. Uh, we're, we're, already, we're already getting to the part of the 2018 draft talk where I'm like, oh, man, there's so many guys that we're going to miss on. Just, I mean, just the nature of the draft, right? You got, we got one pick. Fun, I know. They, let, let's say we finish somewhere in the middle of the draft, uh, draft order I'm talking about. We're, we're going to have one pick in the first 90 because, remember, we don't have a second-round pick traded for Sammy Watkins. So we pick first round, we pick third round. If we're picking 91st overall or something, or, or, or 85th, that's one pick in the first 84. We have so much you know what? Though, you know what? Though? I was, when they traded for Sammy Watson, you remember my reaction. <laughs> but here's the, thing that, here's the thing that I responded with to myself and to everyone that I've talked to since. If there's one thing that we know about Les Need, it's he will trade. Trade. <laughs> and, uh, if they, they trade made machine. that trade, I'm willing to bet that in Les Need's mind, before that trade went through, was hell, I could always trade. I'm going to just trade it again. A second. <laughs> and he's like, I'd always <laughs> trade down in the third. First, you know, if they're picking 15th, let's just say middle of the pack, 15, 16, <laughs> if they're picking 15, 16, I can guarantee you in Les Need's mind, I can trade down to 25 and give me a second. <laughs> that's more than he definitely got <laughs> so, so I'm not too worried about it now. If they turn around and trade their first, then we're, we're screwed. <laughs> but I don't think Man loves a trade. <laughs> College football <laughs> schedule this Saturday to keep an eye out for uh, early games. you got NC State, Florida State. You talked about the virus McFadden. That's a good opportunity to see Florida State. And NC State's not a bad team, man. I don't know if you've seen North Carolina State. they got some talent. Uh, it's a team to look out for. USC, they uh, – I would say this, the, the game they dropped against South Carolina changed the tenor of that team. If they were 3-0 and right now going into Florida State, there would be a lot of hype for that. But that's the nature of the college sports, man. College football, you drop that game, it is what it is. Um, moving on, you got USC, California at Cal. That could be interesting. USC has gotten away with a couple performances where they were really close to dropping this. Uh, still unscathed at this point. USC real strong. Number 16, TCU. TCU is a late riser. Going to your boys, Oklahoma State, now number six. Did you see Mason Rudolph last Saturday? Oh, you know I did. Come on now. You know I, you know I was watching. We're, we're starting to talk video game numbers, man. Dude, this is the crazy thing about it. He did all that, and McCleskey scored all the touchdowns. James Washington wasn't even the touchdown getter. Like, we have yet to James Washington went off. He went off. He had 160 yards receiving. He went off. But we haven't even seen James Washington be James Washington yet. That's what's scary. <laughs> like he, the dude just scores touchdowns, you know. So when when you have McCleskey and James Washington just getting getting in the end zone, it's like, who the how the hell do you stop? And, and it's not like they can't run the ball either. They just light it up through the air. Like that's a really good offense. <laughs> it's a really good offense the in thing all phases. The thing that makes Oklahoma State really interesting to me is the schedule. They they played Tulsa week one, South Alabama week two, Pitt week three. So they've scored 59 points twice. They scored 44 points another time. They got TCU this weekend, number 16. Then they play Texas Tech unranked. Baylor, which is, which is an absolute dumpster fire. Texas, 
which played really well against USC, but is not the Texas right. of yesteryear. West Virginia, yeah. who's unranked. So they go they, Oklahoma State between this game and Oklahoma for Bedlam November 4th. They got a whole month plus where they are playing teams that are going to be looking at this offense saying, look, we can't do anything about it. I know, I know you like Oklahoma State. It's a great opportunity to take some time to watch them play uh, TCU this weekend because uh, I think Absolutely. fans that haven't paid attention are going to be real impressed. Absolutely, they are. They're loaded on offense. It, if you if you haven't watched them at all over the past two years, this year, you know, a lot of these guys are seniors. They this is their third year playing together uh, as a group, just collectively. It's they're, they're a special bunch. Um, even even with their even with them playing against the lesser competition uh, the, that their schedule is showing, they're really really good. <laughs> I think that they could play well against whoever this offense could. The, off, the defense is decent but it's not even remotely close to being with the offenses. So I, I would agree. This is definitely a game to check out. TCU is going to be the best game you're going to see, in, uh, the best team they're going to play, like you said, until Oklahoma. For a while. And they, 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 TCU is a sneaky weird team. They got Kenny Hill, A&M transfer from a couple of years ago uh, at quarterback. They got some talent on offense, but really – the, the the issue for them is going to be scheme. They got this interesting scheme that they're running. It's uh, different. What what's strange to me is where this game came out of. This is the last game we need to talk about, and then we can start wrapping it up. Mississippi State at Georgia. We talk about Mississippi State uh, beating LSU in dominating fashion. Georgia has crept up to number eleven overall, and this is one of those programs that has constantly fed talent to the NFL. Obviously, with Todd Gurley centerpiece of the Rams running attack, you don't need to look much further than that. They're three and zero. In the SEC East, they got Kirby Smart trying to make things happen as a head coach. What ha, have you seen, Georgia? Have you paid any attention to Georgia recently? Do 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 you have a feel yeah, for where yeah. they're going and any of the the talent on that team? Yeah, I do, and uh, I think I mentioned it last week uh, when I was talking about Frome. It really surprised me with just kind of how he was able to put it together yeah, late right. in that game. Um, but this team is one hundred percent all about. What what the running game is going to do for them? Nick Chubb isn't got Nick Chubb doesn't have it going, and they're probably going to be in some type of trouble. The, now their defense is what's kind of been surprising. Um, they have given up some points, but they are that they're that classic bam but don't break team. They can really crush down and lock down on the team, which is kind of been impressive because that's how they that's how they won games in the right moments. The defense has made plays. Georgia is uh, kind of sneaky, but. Who do I think is going to win? Uh, I'm not old on Georgia all the way. <laughs> yeah. Georgia, and, and Georgia, like you, said, you, you mentioned Nick Chubb. Georgia been cranking out running backs. I don't know if you've seen this kid yet. Oh, yeah. DeAndre Swift, the freshman. This is out of pencil out of uh, Philadelphia. This is another one, just like uh, what's his name at Ohio State, that uh, freshman, J.K. Dobbins. DeAndre Swift is another one of these freshman kids where you're like, hold on, man. I know, I know we're into Nick Chubb, and Nick Chubb, the, Nick Chubb deserves his his senior year campaign. DeAndre Swift, this kid is not playing around. And it's one of those things where it's just like Todd Gurley and Nick Chubb and now DeAndre Swift where you're like, wait a second, I already know Nick Chubb. I'm, I'm good. I know what I need to know. Bring on the new kid because this kid can play, man. The, interest, the interesting thing about it is Sony Michelle hasn't even come back yet. <laughs> let, let that sink in for a moment. Tony Michelle has not come back yet. Tony Michelle is, I mean, he's good, good. You he's know, an he's NFL running back. Really 
He's in the contract. Oh, yeah. It's interesting. We talk about Georgia. We didn't even talk about the defense. This is one of the most experienced defenses in the in the country, let alone in the SEC. Um, I, I don't I don't know that there's anybody that really fits what the Rams are trying to do. What I think is going to be interesting in the game like this, we just saw that Fitzgerald light up LSU, which is an incredibly incredibly strong defense for NFL talent. If Georgia has this kind of performance, that could be one of the things where they catapult some of these prospects forward, and we say, hold up, man. As much as much as we're talking about RBT and we're talking about all these other guys for LSU, when you talk about Dave, Bellamy, David Bellamy for Georgia, that's one of those guys. We just talked about linebackers. Okay, well, you're looking for somebody that can play inside linebacker. There's there's a guy Georgia that that's got a game like this. This is the kind of performance where Rams fans, if if you got time and you check this out, this could be one of those guys that starts to develop a fan base from Rams fans and move forward. Quick, like. Before we get out of here, we're talking about Georgia. Like you said, Georgia's loaded. Jacob Eason got back to practice this week. <laughs> okay. That's the real question. That's the starter. So you got Sony Michelle coming back. You got Jacob Eason coming back. Georgia could be surprised, but like you said, we'll see how it goes. Quarterback battles in the middle of a 3-0 and season. You got to love co- – that's the great thing about college football, man. College football starts off crazy. It finds a way to get crazy in the early middle. Then in the late middle, it always gets stupid crazy. Because what happens is you get that team that everybody's like, well, they're 6-0. and They're 7-0. and There's no exactly. way that they look. There's no way that this exactly. happens. <laughs> and then it happens. And the thing is, because one loss is another year, you talk about the NFL, teams go 12-4, and that's the best team in the conference. You lose four games in college football, <laughs> you you halfway to scrub one them. of the worst teams. You're one of the worst teams in college football. <laughs> <laughs> it's just completely oh, different dynamics. Isn't it good to have football back? <laughs> Bruh, I have spent so I have good. spent so much time. There, there have been days when I've just kind of sat down in the middle of the day out of nowhere and be like, man, I need to watch more football. I'm so glad that football's back. I've only watched X amount of – I'm not telling you how many hours. I've only watched X amount of hours of football. I need to watch more football. Oh, you don't have to tell me. I know what you were doing when they were showing all the replay games from last year. <laughs> you were watching the same ones over and over. <laughs> you, do, you do not want to know what my late Saturday night looks like. I am not tell, I am not admitting that I will be watching San Jose State UNLV 1030 <laughs> At night coming oh, up, man. don't you don't you judge me, Mason? Don't you? Judge uh, no me, judgment man. for me. I fully understand. Uh, Speaking well, of judgment, well, we got a judgment day coming up, man. Week week three, 49ers Rams. Last week was a validation game. This is kind of a this is almost a validation for Sean McVay. If, if exactly. we drop this, this one, this is a tell you a, this is a tell you a lot game. How do you yeah. rebound? How do you bounce back? And, and Even who, if they lose, who have, you can lose and learn a lot. <laughs> and, and I think who who really comes through the way that Robert Woods kind of dropped the ball this last week, the way that you know the run defense dropped the ball. It's one of those things where you say, okay, but that's almost like acceptable. I I don't know that, and part of it's just the Forty ers because they're a rival. I don't know that there's an acceptable way to lose this game and move forward coming out of week three. I, I would agree. Yeah, well, you know what? We only have two days before we're there Thursday, so it's going to be 
interesting to follow up on everything, making sure we're paying attention, seeing what's going on with the injuries, where everybody is health-wise, um, and then also just paying attention to Sean McVay and these press conferences over the next couple of days to the game, seeing where his head is at, how comfortable he's getting, how much back to himself is he going to be. So there's a lot of things to look forward to. The game is on Thursday. Cannot miss it because, like I said, rival games with the 49ers, for some reason, they always go well. Uh, before we get out of here, you got anything else? I don't. I was thinking about McBay joining Migos. We had the McBay. We had the McBay Bowl. I'm thinking about McBay and those Gucci loafers. Oh, McBay. <laughs> you know, you know what? We, we when we redo the Remit song, we got to get McBay to do a few feature. <laughs> it has to happen. <laughs> Until then, though. Uh, I'm, de- I'm definitely looking forward to getting the gang together to make this happen. It's going to be fun. <laughs> nice job, man. So, so, all right, so that'll do it for us. We are going to get out of here. We're going to can't wait to Thursday again. Make sure that everyone tunes into the game. Um, make sure you're also following the show on uh, Twitter, Turf Show Taz. Make sure you follow myself, Mighty or Myson. Uh, well, Joe3k underscore. <laughs> That underscore, I love it. I love saying that out loud. It does something to me. You do. It makes it feel closer to you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this show just got weird. All right, that's going to do it for us. We are out of here. McBay!
sure you'll agree The ramming is fun when you're ramming with me Hi, I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Kerryu literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.